Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Undying Light listeners. We are now post-Easter. We have celebrated the resurrection of our Lord. If you would love to watch my sermon on that, you can check it out on our YouTube, Stratford Evangelical Lutheran Church, and hear my sermon that I have yet to write as I record this episode uh, that is soon coming on uh on this page or on, you know, my, my work, it's just, uh, we got a long history here of, uh, things that need to be done. And we are, uh, working actively through, uh, making sure that happens as quick as possible. Uh, so, you know, it's Holy week as I record this, I'm, you know, getting out ahead of the game and I always do the Tuesday episodes kind of a week early anyways. And, uh, so we are uh, during Holy Week, and you know, got some podcasting to get done. I've got uh, three sermons to write and two bulletins to make. So Thursday night service, uh, Friday service, and Sunday service, I have sermons to write for, and then Thursday and Sunday I have services to prepare for. So uh, Friday is a community service, so I'm kind of off the hook with that, which is cool. But uh, I w- I am preaching that message, so I do need to have something compiled and ready to go. So we uh, uh, have continued our journey through the Book of Concord, and we've hit a lot of the high topics so far, but this week we are going to finish the Small Called Articles, and we're going to look at uh, Part 3 of the Small Called Articles, and that's going to finish our time with the Book of Concord. And so this episode will air next Tuesday as I record this, and that will be um, the 19th, I believe, if I remember correctly, Um, just kind of... Uh, yep, 19th. Uh, so that will air. And then what I think we'll do is start the sacrament series, the 26th. And I think that's really neat because on Friday, the 29th, Flame is releasing his new album, which is on baptism. So we will be kicking this off as he releases that new album. I'm pretty excited about it. I really didn't plan it to happen this way, but uh, nonetheless, here we are. And I'm 
very excited to release this. We've got seven episodes recorded so far in baptism, and I think I'm going to do one or two more, depending on how uh, the patrons feel I've exhausted the, the, the topic. So let's dig into the material today. I don't know if we'll hit all 30 minutes. I say that every time, and then somehow I end up babble on and on, but we will work through these particular articles, and we will uh, discuss, you know, as Luther kind of breaks these down. So we, we won't read all of them because some of them are long statements, but they're not too terribly bad. Um, there's parts, uh, that kind of filter, especially under repentance. There's the uh, false repentance of the palpitists, the palpists. And so we will examine that. Um, that is a pretty long section. So we'll probably just highlight a few pieces there, but, Uh, Under the nature of sin, which is Article 1, this is how Luther addresses it. He says, we must confess what St. Paul says in Romans 5.12, namely, that sin had its origin in one man, Adam, through through whose disobedience all men were made sinners, made subject to death and the devil. This is called original sin or root or the root sin. The fruits of this sin are all subsequent evil deeds which are forbidden in the Ten Commandments, such as unbelief, false belief, idolatry, being without the fear of God, presumption, despair, blindness, in short, ignorance or discourage of God, and then also lying, swearing by God's name, failure to pray and call upon God, neglect of God's word, disobedience to parents, murder, unchastity, theft, deceit, etc. This hereditary sin is so deep a corruption of nature that reason cannot understand it. It must be believed because of the revelation in the scriptures. Psalm 51, 5, Romans 5, 12, as we just read, Exodus 33, 20, Genesis 3, 6. What scholastic theologians taught concerning this article is therefore nothing but error and stupidity, namely, this is Luther digging into it, he says that after the fall of Adam, the natural powers of man have remained whole and uncorrupted but that man by nature possesses a right to understanding of a good will as philosophers teach. Again, that man has free will either to do good or refrain from evil or to refrain from good and do evil. Again, the man is able by his natural powers to observe and keep all the commandments of God. Again, that man is able by his natural powers to love God above all things and love his neighbor as himself. Again, if man does what he can, God is certain to grant him grace. Again, when a man goes to the sacrament, there is no need of a good intention to do what he ought, but that it is a, but it is enough that he does not have an evil intention to commit sin, for such a goodness of the man's nature, and such is the power of the sacrament. That it cannot be proved from Scripture that the Holy Spirit and His gifts are necessary for the performance of good work. Such and many similar notions have resulted from misunderstanding and ignorance concerning sin and concerning Christ our Savior. They are thoroughly pagan doctrines, which we cannot tolerate them. And such, if such teachings were true, Christ would have died in vain, for there would be no deflect or sin in man for which we cannot have for which he could not have to die or else would have died only for in, for the body and not for the soul in so much as the soul would be sound and the whole body would be subject to death. So he, uh, 
he digs into it right out right out the gate here with part three going after uh, the misconceptions of sin and uh, the you know the concepts of free will that uh, some scholastic theologians in his time were teaching that man through their works could earn merit or please God or uh, choose to do good or evil whereas Luther is pointing to the fact that sin is such a deep corruption of our nature that it is we are we are before you know without Christ we are bound to it and with Christ we struggle to uh, overcome the nature of our sin but knowing that we are justified and yet still sinner so we get into uh, article two here which is the law uh, well, let's read through these few statements it says here we maintain that the law was given by God first of all to restrain sins by threats and fear of punishment and by the promise and offer of grace and favor. But this purpose failed because of the wickedness which sin has worked in man. Some who hate the law because it forbids what they desire to do and commands what they are unwilling to do are made worse thereby. Accordingly, just in so far as they do not restrain the punishment, they act against the law even more than before. These are rude but wicked peop- rude and wicked people who do evil... Uh, wherever they have an opportunity. Others become blind and presumptuous, imagining that they can do and keep the law by their own powers, just as said above concerning scholastic theologians, hypocrites and false saints are produced in this way. However, the chief function of power or power of the law is to make make original sin manifest and show man what utter depth his nature has fallen and how corrupt it has become. So the law must tell him that he is neither that he neither has nor cares for God or that he worships strange gods, something that which he would not have believed before without the knowledge the knowledgement of the law. Thus he is terror stricken and humbled, becomes despondent and despairing, anxiously desires help, but does not want to, does not know where to find it, and becomes alienated from God to murmur, etc. This is meant what is meant by Romans 4.15, the law brings wrath. And Romans 5.20, the law came in to increase the trespass. So then we move on to Article 3. So we've talked about sin, the law, and now repentance. And we will look at a couple of these statements here on repentance. The function of the law is retained and taught by the New Testament. So Paul says in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of man. And in Romans 3, 19 and 20, the whole world may be held accountable to God for no human would be justified in his sight. Christ also says in John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit will convince the world of sin. This then is the thunderbolt by means of which God with one blow destroys both sinners and false saints. He allows no one to justify himself. He drives all together into terror and despair. This is the hammer of which Jeremiah speaks. It is not my word like a hammer, which breaks the rock into pieces, as Jeremiah 23, 29 states. And this is not an artificial remorse or the sor- or the true sorrow of the heart. Uh, this is not artificial remorse, but true sorrow of the heart, suffering and pain of death. And so this is repentance. It is contrition and faith. It is not just one. It is not just feeling sorry for your sin. This is what the beginning of true repentance is like. Here man must hear such a judgment as this. You are all of no account. Whether you are manifest sinners or saints, you must 
all become other than you are now and do otherwise than what you do now. No matter who you are and how, no matter how great, wise, mighty, and holy you may think yourselves, here no one is godly. So Luther continues um, for another handful of statements to really hammer out this separation that repentance is something that the Lord is doing to man, and it is by his grace that we come to true repentance. And we now understand, as Luther goes into like part two of this, and he highlights the false repentance of the Papists, and he says that in this opening couple statements, is that it is impossible for them to teach correctly about repentance because they do not know what sin really is. For stated above, they do not have the right teaching concerning the original sin, but asserted that the natural powers of man have remained whole and uncorrupted. The reason is capable of right understanding, and the will is capable of acting accordingly, and that God assuredly grant his grace to this man uh, who does not as much as he can according to his free will. So uh, he goes on to just hammer out how the the Pope and the Roman Catholic bishops and priests and uh, all of those associated with the Pope are, are essentially false converts because they teach a false repentance. They teach that man can make their way to God via uh, indulgences or merits or good works or good behavior or anything of that sort, that they can you know work up the ladder, if you would, to reach God. So Luther spends the time to <clears throat> hammer out that this is a false assertion, and he does so, so through about 50 statements. Uh, so now we move on to Article 4. This is the gospel, and this is just simply one statement. He says, We shall now turn to the gospel, which offers counsel to help against sin in more than one way. For God is surpassingly rich in his grace. First, through the spoken word which is the forgiveness of sin, in particular the function of the gospel. It is preached to the whole world. Second, through baptism. Third, through the holy sacrament of the altar. Fourth, through the power of the keys. And finally, through the mutual conversation and consolation of brethren. Matthew 28, 20, where two or, more, or, two or three or more are gathered, etc., etc. So Luther demonstrates what the gospel does here. He doesn't give us what the gospel is, but he... Uh, assuredly asserts that this gospel does everything that it says it'll do. And he goes to say that it's done essentially in four parts. One is through the spoken word. The next is the next two are through the sacrament. Uh, and then the fourth is through the office of the keys. The office of the keys is given over to the uh, pastors of a church. And we have the ability to name sin and forgive sin. So when I uh, have a conversation with a, a congregant and they are struggling in sin, you have to name that sin for them to become repentant of it, for them to see the dangers that it is doing to them and those around them. And so we are given this power to, to name the sin, but more so we are given the ability to relay the forgiveness of Christ upon them. We are not forgiving them of their sin as the Pope would have us do, uh, it is not by man's power. Uh, it is not by our desire or our decision that they have done such good works and, and are deserving of the forgiveness, but merely the grace of Christ upon us. Uh, so we're going to skip Article 5 on uh, baptism because we talked about that uh, pretty extensively in our uh, series so far. Um, and we will work through the, alt the sacrament of the altar, which is Article 6. 
uh, in that sacrament series, which is due up next. But let's look at the keys. This is Article 7. The keys are a function and power given to the church by Christ to bind and loosen sins, not only the gross and manifest sins, but also those that are subtle and secret and which God alone perceives. So it is written, who can discern his errors, Psalm 19.12. And Paul himself complains, Romans 7.23, that his flesh that in his flesh he was held captive to the law of sin. It is not by our power, but in God, God's alone to judge which, how great, and how many our sins are. As it is written, enter not into judgment with thy servant, for no man living is righteous before thee. Psalm 143.2. And also Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. So what we get with the keys is that we have the ability to loosen and bind sin. We can name sin to the person who is obviously committing such an act. And when it means by loosen sin, it doesn't mean that we uh, merely say, oh, what you're doing is not sinful. You can continue living in this nature. You can continue doing these things. This, unfortunately, has become a major problem in the Lutheran church uh, around this function, because really Lutherans, to my knowledge, are the only ones that uh, really acknowledge the office of the keys. Uh, the, the Roman Catholics may as well, but more more Protestant churches don't pay much attention to this. So within the Lutheran circles, the ELCA in particular, they have this concept in their minds that they can name sin and unname sin. And by that, I mean, I've had conversations with uh, campus pastors who uh, had told me that we have the ability to say what uh, is sin or to declare something to not be sinful, which is true because, you know, as Luther comes to uh, the, the confession booth and he, and he thinks everything he's doing is sinful. Uh, and then there would be some in the reform circles that would say uh, every breath you take is a sin from God because you are, you know, you're driving the chasm wider between you and him by your, you know, grievous acts. You know, there, there's some that would say that. I don't think all would, but there's some that would say that, you know, literally everything you do is sinful because you are uh, at odds with God. Uh, then there would be some who kind of fall in the middle. But what we need to understand with this loosening and binding is that we, we address what sin is and we don't have the ability to determine what is not sinful. For instance, I can't say that murdering somebody is not a sin because it clearly is in violation of the Ten Commandments. But what I can do is say that in that, you can still be forgiven. I know it's hard to take for many Christians because we don't want to think that any murderer could be forgiven. But guess what? Paul, who is the greatest you know, apostle to the Gentiles to ever live, uh, was a murdering, Christ, a murdering Jew. Uh, he was a murdering Pharisee, and Christ steals him out of that life in uh, Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. So everybody has the ability to be forgiven. Uh, but when we have these conversations on loosening and binding, it is a means by which we declare what sin is and offer forgiveness. That's the loosening, right? It is you bind them in their sin by naming their sin. Let's say I have an alcoholic. This is a good example. I have an alcoholic who comes in, sits down with me, and is is remorseful over it, but he doesn't have faith yet. He's re- just remorseful, so he hasn't had true repentance. So he's exclaiming to me that he he wants to be free of this burden. He wants to fix himself. And so what I would go to turn and say is, look, you are damaging yourself. 
your sin is encroaching on those who love you and you are uh, walking the road to destruction. Your alcoholism is essentially condemning you. And so then I would turn and say, as I bind him in that sin, I would loosen that sin on him and say, but Christ forgives you and he has mercy and compassion for you and he loves you and he wants you to come to him. And so then if the alcoholic comes to true faith in that moment, you know, he, he grasps the, the element of belief and says, I can believe that. I believe that Jesus forgives me. Then you have the remorseful, the contrition, and true faith completing the equation of repentance. So the keys uh, fall into all into line with uh, the first few articles talking about sin, the law, repentance, um, and the gospel. And it is, again, exceptionally important for us to understand that we do not determine what is actually labeled in the Bible to be sinful, to not be sinful. And this is the, the, the grievous sin that the ELCA has fallen into, where they are allowing um, elements of uh, inclusion to occur, whereas they uh, will ordain gay and lesbian preachers, they will... Uh, institute transgenderism they've pushed down the line of social justice uh they are you know really at the far left progressive movement towards an anti-biblical position and this is not what the office of the keys allows the office of the keys allows us to bind the person in sin and to loosen them through the gospel whereas uh, this campus pastor told me in not so many words that they can name the sin, which is rightly so, but then they have the ability to just, you know, they have the ability to name what sin is and what isn't sin. And by that, he was really, because my question was focused around, um, you know, how can we as a church allow gays to be married and ordained in our churches when there's no promise given to them in scripture? And, you know, as a pastor, I, I don't have the ability to go and, um, you know, marry a gay couple because there's no promise given. If I'm doing a marriage, there has to be a promise there. And we have promises in scripture between man and a woman, but not between same sex. So again, this was a conversation that it's just long ago. Um, and thankfully I, I did not attend to that school. I was not happy with their answers. And, uh, and obviously it shows now how far the, uh, down the drain the ELC has gotten and just how, um, far off the biblical path they have moved. So that is the sacrament of the all uh, of the keys, not sacrament. I'm sorry. I was reading on my screen, sacrament of the altar. That's the office of the keys. Uh, now let's move on to confession. And this is an interesting notion because this falls in again with uh, the keys and sin law and repentance. Uh, Luther's got a whole spew of uh, statements here. We're not going to read them all, but we'll just read the first two. It says since absolution or the power of the keys which is instituted by Christ in the gospel as a consolation to help against sin and a bad conscience, confession and absolution should by no means be allowed to fall into disuse in the church, especially for the sake of timid consciences and for the sake of untrained young people who need to be examined and instructed in the Christian doctrine. However, the enumeration of sins should be left free to everyone to do so or not to do as he will. As long as they are in the flesh, he shall not be untruthful if we say I am a poor man full of sin I see my members I see in my members another law Romans 7:23 although private absolution is derived 
from the office of the keys. It should not be neglected. On the contrary, it should be highly esteemed and valued like all other functions of the Christian church. Now, here's Luther's premise. If you go to a church service and you do not hear the proclamation that your sins are forgiven, I urge you to find a church that does this. I urge you to find a church that has a liturgical structure around the absolution and confession because with that, you have the ability to step in and say, I am a poor man full of sin. You have the ability to lay your sins at the feet of the cross and then you get the assurance by the preacher that your sins have been forgiven. If you have a church that glosses over that or makes it some sort of uh, abstract concept by which we don't know how we can get to, then you need to leave that church. If you have a church that says you need to be doing works or doing these things and being fruitful and all that, then you'll be saved. No, you need a church where it'll tell you that you are a sinner and your sins are forgiven and you need to name the sin and you need to name the gospel. That's it. Uh, that's all I'm going to say on confession. It's it's a pretty extensive topic, um, but you know, as Luther experienced in his time with the uh, Roman Catholic Church, that uh, he was wasting hours and hours and hours grieving over his sin when he could be, you know, spending more time with the moments of self acknowledgement that his sins are forgiven, and then driving that concept forward that it is only through Christ, not through somebody in a box and not through anybody else, but it is by Christ alone that we have the ability to relay the forgiveness of sins to each other. So then he moves on to excommunication. This is Article 9. Uh, very simple here. He says, we consider, ex- we, we consider the greater excommunication, as the Pope calls it, to be merely a civil penalty, which does not concern us ministers of the church. However, the lesser, that is truly Christian, excommunication excludes those who are manifest and impotent sinners from the sacrament and other fellowship in the church until they mend their ways and avoid sin. Preachers should not mingle in civil punishments or spiritual penalty of excommunication. So Luther is essentially asserting that we would withhold the sacrament and fellowship from those who will not uh, essentially stop sinning. And this can be, again, if we go back to the conversation of the alcoholic, if he you know, has come to my church and, he, and, and has partaken in the sacraments and then turns to alcoholism as a fulfillment and he will not repent, I can refuse him uh, entry into the church. I can refuse him the sacrament. Um, and that would essentially be what excommunication is pointing to. So now we have ordination and vocation. This is a couple of quick statements. These last few are pretty quick here. Uh, this is Article 10. It says that the bishops were true bishops They were con- and were concerned with the church and the gospel. They might be permitted for the sake of love and unity, but not out of necessity. To ordain and confirm us, our preachers provided this could be done without the pretense, humbug, and unchristian or, uh, ostranation. However, they neither are nor wish to be true bishops. They are temporal lords and princes who are unwilling to preach and teach or baptize, or administer communion, or discharge any office of the work or the work of the church. More than that, they expel, persecute, condemn those who have been called to do such things. Yet the church must not be deprived of ministers on their account. Accordingly, as we are taught by the examples of the ancient churches and fathers, we shall and ought ourselves ordain suitable persons to this office. The papists, the papists have no right to forbid or prevent us, not even uh, according to their own laws, for their laws state Uh, that those who are ordained by heretics shall also be regarded as ordained and remain so. 
St. Jerome too wrote concerning the church in Alexandria that it was originally governed without bishops by priests and by preachers in common. Then he goes on to, uh, in article 11 here or article 12, my apology that the, they're, they do allow marriage of the priests. This was something that again, kind of goes against the Roman Catholic church. And then we have article, uh, yeah, article 11. I, again, I'm seeing, reading two different things on my screen and I'm way off the deep end here. Uh, I've been recording for quite a while by now, but anyways, we got, uh, Article 11 on the marriage of the priests. Article 12 is the church. This is what Luther says. We do not concede to the papists that they are the church. They are not, nor shall we pay attention to what they command or forbid in the name of the church, but for uh, what they name for the church. For thank God a seven-year-old child knows that the church is namely holy believers and sheep who hear the voice of their shepherd. So children pray. I believe in one holy Christian church. It's holiness does not consist of sur- uh, surpluses, tonsillers, albs, or other ceremonies of theirs that they have invented of, over and above the Holy Scriptures, but it consists in the Word of God and true faith. So then we've talked about uh, this next article. Um, this is Article 13, How Man is Justified Before God and His Good Works. We've talked about that a few times. Then we have monastic vows. Uh, we've talked about that. We've got human traditions. We've talked about that. And that wraps up the small called articles. And, you know, again, not going line by line. There's not a ton of things to read on these last few, but, you know, we've covered them extensively in previous episodes. And uh, I want to spend this last closing minutes here, hopefully highlighting what we've worked through uh, on this series. And uh, oh, there's <laughs> my wife texting me. Um so we've got uh, this, you know, Book of Concord. We've looked at uh, the um, uh, the creeds to start with. We've looked at um, the Augsburg Confession and worked through the articles. We've talked about the Apology. We've looked at uh, some commentaries. We've looked at the Formula of Concord. We did not go too deep into the large catechism, uh, but we do so on some elements with the uh sacrament series. We looked at the small catechism and uh, we looked at the uh, small called articles, which we just wrapping up. So we've also talked a little bit about the history in that through which the Lutheran church has come to. Um, and we talked a little bit about the formation of the Augsburg confession in the book of Concord. Uh, and so we, uh, I hope I can say that we have now can wrap our time here in this, in this behemoth of a book and we can move on to um, we can move on to the other elements of the Lutheran faith. And so, what we will do in the next uh, handful of weeks is we will work through the sacraments. We will um, deal with uh, the baptism and the altar, uh, the sacrament of the altar, the Lord's Supper. We'll work through those, uh, and then we will look at some other elements of the Lutheran faith. And then we will continue our trek uh, going on to uh, some other elements of the, of the Lutheran faith. And then we will probably move on to more of a topical session where we might dig into some of those uh, highlighting topics deeper. Um, I don't know if we'll always do the two episode a week or if we're just going to exhaust the Lutheran series and then go back to the Friday episodes. I haven't really decided that yet. There's still a long ways to go, I, th- I feel, for this to happen. 
Uh, and we've been in this for a number of weeks now, but I'm really excited that we've concluded the Book of Concord. We didn't do it extensively or, or, or you know, we didn't touch every single piece and article in there. Uh, that would have taken a considerable amount of time to read through them all. Um, but I urge you to uh, investigate and and dig into the material uh, on your own as you can, as you desire to, and read what interests you. And always explore another side to the coin. So I know I said I can, we might be able to get in under 30 minutes, but uh, yeah, here we are at 31. And uh, I'm going to wrap it for today. We'll be back uh, Friday with another installment in our Jonah series. And we will continue out that. And uh, we'll be back next week on Tuesday with the uh, uh, episode on sacraments and ordinances. And uh, I, I urge you to brace yourself for those episodes because uh, they are pretty heavy hitting as uh, I'm very passionate about the sacrament. So that's that. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you Friday. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.